Grant, O Lord, that thy word only may be spoken and thy word only may be received. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. There men will weep and gnash their teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. This morning, beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, we find ourselves again listening to another difficult parable of the kingdom of God. For many are called, but few are chosen. So before we dive into the parable of the great wedding banquet, I think it's helpful for us all to get a view of the gospel landscape, of what's going on around Jesus telling this parable. Now, this morning, we are at the point in the gospel of St. Matthew wherein Jesus has made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, Palm Sunday, has ridden the colt to shouts of Hosanna to the son of David. The faithful have lined the streets and laid their cloaks in palm branches down for Jesus to walk over. They have given praise to the king of kings, and Jesus has entered Jerusalem triumphantly. Now, as soon as Jesus enters Jerusalem, we all remember, he goes straight to the temple and turns over the tables of the money changers, drives out all who buy and sell in the temple. So the first thing he does is calls a ruckus. Now, we also must remember, as Jesus does these things, causes this ruckus, A choir of children miraculously gathers and sings praises as he does it. Hosanna to the son of David. So you have to imagine a stir, quite the stir. The Pharisees become indignant. They become wrath-filled and furious. The Pharisees have a very brief encounter with Jesus on that day as he upsets the temple... And after that encounter, Jesus makes his way from the temple out to a suburb, if you will, called Bethany. And he spends the night there. The next day, Jesus re-enters Jerusalem, re-enters the temple, and there he begins to teach. As he is teaching, Jesus is confronted by the furious Pharisees. And in that confrontation between Jesus and Pharisee, we have the gospel lessons for the last several weeks. Two weeks ago... We remember the Pharisees questioned Jesus' authority to teach and to interpret the Torah. And in that questioning, Jesus turns it on them and confronts their authority in his question about the baptism of John. Is the baptism of John of God or not? The Pharisees have no answer. They are publicly perplexed and they are publicly humiliated. They can't answer. They don't know how to answer. So the exchange between Jesus and Pharisee gets heated. This increase in temperature and confrontation leads to last week's gospel lesson and the parable of the landowner in the vineyard. We remember that. It's a story of vineyard workers being beaten and stoned and killed. Uh, The vineyard workers beating and stoning and killing the servants of the landowner. And finally, when the landowner sends his own son, they kill him as well. Now, the Pharisees get something. They get that Jesus is talking about them. They're not too happy either. They are none too happy to be accused of faithlessness, 
of being abusive, of murdering God's prophets. So Jesus accuses them of being all these things. And the Pharisees then begin to try and figure out a way to silence Jesus, to have Jesus arrested. So while the Pharisees are infuriated, enraged, and begin making attempts to arrest Jesus at the words he speaks, Jesus tells them this morning's parable, the parable of the wedding banquet. So you have to imagine this scene. It's very tense, very aggravated. It's high drama. Now this parable this morning has a very clear meaning. Jesus tells us if you don't get it. He begins the parable by telling them exactly what it points to, right? The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for a son. This parable is about God's kingdom, is about salvation, is about God dwelling with his people. And in many ways, it can be said that this parable is about the church, about the people of God and their Christ. Matthew 22, 3 through 5. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the marriage feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, behold, I have made ready my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves are killed and everything is ready. Come to the marriage feast. But they made light of it and went off. Now these first verses in the parable, this first part, refers to the leaders of the nation of Israel. In it, in this first part, Jesus condemns them for failing to heed the words of the prophets, those whom the king sent to invite. The prophets came to preach to them, to invite them into a right relationship with God, to the banquet, but they would not go, would not repent. Now, they were not being called into hard or demeaning labor. They were being called to something beautiful, something meaningful, something the king was very proud of, something the king had worked a good deal on. But yet we learn they made light of it and went off. Driving home his point, Jesus becomes harsh with the Pharisees. Not only could the Pharisee not be bothered with the true kingdom, with God's kingdom, with beauty and grace and life, Some of them even killed those who came bearing the invitation, killed the prophets. So while on the one hand, these Pharisees are the supposed leaders of God's people, Jesus publicly accuses them of being enemies of God and ones that are not worthy to enter the king's banquet. Matthew 22, 8, he said to his servants, the wedding is ready. But those invited were not worthy. The judgment of Jesus, the public judgment, mind you, of Jesus against the temple Pharisees is stinging, is blunt, is pointed, and it begins in earnest the events leading up to the crucifixion. It is that stinging and that pointed. Now, the second part of the parable contains within it something of great concern for us. The second part is a foreshadowing of the activity and the mission of the church. Where the first part of the wedding banquet deals with the Pharisee, the faithful Jew. The second part deals with what happens after they have killed the servants of God, after they have crucified Jesus. 22.10 Go therefore to the thoroughfares and invite to the marriage feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found both bad and good, 
So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now, the Pentecost event, at that event, the apostles and disciples are instructed to go ye therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. The entire world, Jesus tells us in this parable, is invited to this great and holy feast. Gentile, the entire world is invited into the kingdom of God. The entire world, both Jew and Gentile, into God's church. So the banquet hall fills both good and bad with every shape, with every kind. Sounds wonderful, inclusive, inviting. The whole world invited into God's kingdom. The whole world filling the banquet hall of the kingdom. Now it sounds wonderful and inviting at first, and then we read these verses. But when the king came back in to look at the guests... He saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Now at this point, our minds, our modern minds, most likely begin to think that this wonderful vision of the world filling the banquet hall isn't all that lovely. What if that poor person couldn't afford a wedding garment? At least he came to the banquet hall, right? Better than those first guys. Or what a cruel king to invite someone in and then not accept them as they are. Now, 2,000 years later, us reading this, we miss something, cultural context. In biblical times, a king would have issued and supplied, would have gifted everyone with wedding garments. So any and all who were invited in would have had one. So we can't say the king is cruel on that regard. The parable changes again. Here we find someone, Gentile, who was invited in, issued a fine wedding garment, but refused to wear it, threw it away, as it were. It's the Gentile equivalent of the Pharisee refusing the call and invitation of the prophet to repent. So what is this wedding garment? I guess really the way to ask this is, how do we enter the church? How do we enter that great banquet? We all know we enter the church through baptism. We come to the wedding banquet by means of our baptism. Now, for most all of Christendom, still to this day, we wear white baptismal garments or robes or gowns or dresses. So the connection of the white wedding garment and the baptismal garment would not have been lost on the early Christians. They would have heard this parable in their churches and gone, aha, I know what he's talking about. The white robes and gowns we wear at our baptism points to the reality that occurs in the sacrament. In our baptisms, the prayer book says, we are buried with Christ in his death. In our baptisms, we share in his resurrection. In our baptisms, we are reborn by the Holy Spirit. So then in our baptisms, we die to our old self, we share in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we are given new and eternal, unending life in the Holy Spirit. In essence, we become clothed in the Holy Spirit, clothed with the Spirit of God who lives in us and through us. And through the Holy Spirit, our lives become virtuous. We live a life to God. We live a life of faith. And that we believe and trust in God through Jesus Christ above all else. It becomes our center, rule, and guide. We live a life of hope. 
hope that life is eternal in God's kingdom is real and without end. So in this life we do not despair. In God's will and love are our highest calling. We live a life of love. Selfless, unconditional love and kindness to all, even those we call our enemies. Even those who call us enemies. The wedding garment we are gifted in baptism, the wedding garment of the Holy Spirit, is also filled with other virtues. Kindness, humility, patience, diligence, charity, self-control, purity. The wedding garment we are given in our baptism, we are issued and gifted. Makes worship the highest priority, cares for the poor, gives rest to the weary, shelter to the shelterless, food and drink to the hungry and thirsty. It visits the sick and the suffering. The wedding garment we are issued is a life of good works. That is what the wedding garment is. A life of good works. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, we have been given our wedding garments and have been invited to the banquet. Let us not throw those garments away by living lives that are not righteous, not worthy of the calling. Let us not throw those away by living lives that do not hunger after the things of God. Rather, rejoice, as St. Paul says, rejoice that we have been called, that we have been issued and gifted these garments, that we have been gifted a garment that is the Holy Spirit, that we have been given a seat in God's great wedding banquet. Let us live lives that put the church first. Let us live lives that are clothed in the Holy Spirit, lives that are filled with good works and virtue. Let us live lives worthy of our calling. Let us live lives worthy of the kingdom of God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.